WNBC. Fuck it. We'll do it live. All right. Here we are with Kevin Arbue. Did I say that right? You did say it right. Pretty right. Or pretty right. How do <laughs> no. you say it? No, it's it's our it's our boy, our boy. Our boy, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. What is that? Haitian? What is it? I'm half Haitian, half Panamanian. Nice. That's a good mix. Yeah, it's a good mix. I can get a lot of handouts that way. We're half boring and half who gives a shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good mix you got going. Um, give me a second. I need to pour myself some whiskey. We had a little curveball thrown our way and had to start a little earlier. So normally I have all the accoutrement and shit going. Yeah. We're here with Kevin, who is a writer, director, producer. Yeah. Um, I did that first before writing and directing, believe it or not. Election cycle news pundit. <laughs> what else are you? That too. Martial artist. That too. Many hyphenates. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing good, man. It's it's been it's been a crazy, crazy last couple of months. Uh, obviously with all the shit going on, but it's, it's been good. It's been good. I, um, I do, I am still running something now. So I, I, I uh, have a series that I'm doing and sold something else. And, and that's kind of like all firsts for me, you know what I mean? Like crazy. Had no idea, thanks, man. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. It was, you know, moving from New York to LA, like that first year was like, all right, some shit's going on. Like, let's get it going. And then, you know, pandemic hit. My horror movie with Fangoria went away. And then it's just... Is that like, the script that I read? Uh, yes. The yeah, last that's book. pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, so we were with Fangoria for a bit. And then we were ready to pull the trigger with Shudder. And then at the last second, it was just like between... We were, we were supposed to shoot in Canada. And then it was like, maybe we should do this. And what about COVID? And I just got too messy. So it's just whatever. But it's been a really interesting year. So the show that you got going, is the same thing you want to spill details on or is it still under wraps? I can't. I can't say too uh, much about it, um, but it's it's fun, wild. It's kind of, it's anthology. Nice. It's, uh, it feels like Ryan Murphy fucked Shonda Rhimes. Nice. Yeah. yeah. I'm trying to picture that. I'm wondering if I want to. Please don't. Don't. Open <laughs> your eyes. Open your eyes. <laughs> All right, well, you can tell me offline because I want to know. Got overactive imaginations, man. Yeah, right. We love anthologies, too. We're always <laughs> trying to cook up our own anthology yes. shit. So, Yeah. We actually had one going with uh, our boy Josh James back in the day until shit got political. <laughs> <laughs> now you guys are friends again, right? Yeah, I'm, dude, I try and get along with everybody, you know? You know me. Yeah. Um, so... If, if he says we're friends, we're friends, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I talked, he, you know, I, you know, on the real, I talked to him a bunch offline. Uh -huh. Actually, we actually had a, a long like, Zoom talk uh, a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, you know, he, he's, he's expressed interest in like, you know, stop arguing so much online and, you know, all this other stuff. And, you know, it's, first of all, all shit gets mixed up anyway. Yeah. Because, it's the worst yeah, format the worst, for. The worst. Him yeah. and I used to feud. I mean, right. we were like, <laughs> back in the day, just like, you motherfucker. Man, isn't and, that how you made all your friends growing up, though? All my right. friends I got in a fight with first growing up. We'd scrap them, like, all right, he's on the level. He's a foxhole guy, you know. Uh, yeah, kind of, but it, it was just, <laughs> you know, things kind of like leveled out and everything's all good. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know how this shit is. It's like, there's not, For there's sure. some people you cool with, there's some people you don't get along with, and there's probably one or two you fucking hate. Mm -hmm. I have one person in this business that i fucking hate so that's, that's not bad that's nice of you to come on his podcast <laughs> on the olive branch and shit but, yeah. no man um it is interesting how the pandemic threw everybody a monkey wrench but you're gonna have those kind of stories of projects falling apart left and right at the end of your career anyway pandemic or not you know we certainly like, do yeah yeah, yeah. It's no, not no the first virus time. necessary right exactly <laughs> yeah well, i mean you, no, did you work like, for Lee Daniels back in the day? Yeah, that's 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 that was kind of like the big one. You know, I started in fashion, uh, believe it or not. Uh, I believe it. I seen you on those little news channels <laughs> and how you dress and shit. I could never even remotely pull that shit off. You look like some character from uh, Where in the World is Carmen San Diego or some shit. It's awesome. <laughs> I was going for a Wakanda warrior, but that's cool. That works. Uh, that works. <laughs> um, no, so I started there, and then um, 
moved into representing actors. And then Lee Daniels, it was just like, boom. And, and you know, being there and I ended up being VP for a year, it wasn't very long. And it was actually, it was like, maybe I was bad luck. It was during his darkest period. It was right after Monsters Ball. So mm-hmm. it was like that pure like Woodsman and Shadow Boxer where like it was just Bro, like, Woodsman is my shit. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Dude, we love that film. I love that good. movie. Good. Understated Mo's death, Kevin Bacon killing it. No one makes movies about that kind of challenging subject matter in that manner. You know what I mean? Yeah. With like a sympathetic eye towards that kind of character. I love it, man. Well, good luck trying to see a movie like that today. I mean, it's, yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's and then, you know, Paperboy and shit. He's done some challenging stuff, man. Yeah. It's, cool. it, it's cool that he gets to explore, you know, like, especially early on, just kind of explore different areas that um, aren't what you'd use. Like, Paperboy is not a movie that you would expect a Black dude to make. Right. And that's a, that's a good thing. Which is cool, Yeah. yeah. That's a real good thing because uh, I think, man, I think we've all seen enough hidden figures, the help, yep. 12 years a slave, all that. Like, fuck it always me. has to be about the black experience mm-hmm. to make a film if you're a black filmmaker. That's, and that was the thing. And when I moved from New York to LA, that was the thing. When I was like, okay, um, I was doing a lot of comedy in, in New York, just like, just regular shit, you know, ghostwriting, all this other shit. And when uh, decided to move to LA, that was like, look, I love genre, horror, sci-fi, really subversive stuff. That really is my jam. Mm-hmm. I do want it to be starring black people, but it has nothing to do with race, nothing to do with pain, nothing to do with trauma. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, sometimes it's just a movie with a bunch of black people in space, you know, like, and, and that's that's kind of my thing. And we don't need a scene where. You know, someone comes in and goes, I got to explain why there's so many black people in space. Uh, Ten years ago, I'm like, no, no, it's just, come on, man. Right. But, but part of it, part of that is actually uh, pragmatic, meaning I want to expand the scope of who's even available Like when you're putting together a movie. Meaning if I, if I want to put together a movie and I'm like, yeah, this movie would be really great if it was all black. And it's like, okay, well, who are your stars? And if you don't get Lakeith or, or, or you know, Daniel Kaluuya, or Viola Davis, you're out of luck. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like before. So I'm just like, no, there's no, always no. a bottleneck, whether it's race or not. You know, if it's a bankable star, then attachment means something, you know. Yeah, but there's a there's a different, I'll tell you what the difference is, is that with white actors, there's this weird leeway where you can't, it's a completely untangible. I mean, you can deal with financing. You're like, all right, I'm gonna do this this movie. And the financier is like, do you think you can get Val Kilmer? I'm like, Val Kilmer? Like, what in the fuck? <laughs> like what you mean people turned on by circa that. 1997 Val right. Kilmer and now Val Kilmer <laughs> even yes. now it's crazy I love Val Kilmer by the way yeah but it's just it's but amazing. you know what I mean like who he's not exactly to... putting butts in seats right yeah. now right? <laughs> exactly <laughs> and there's no other side of that coin where someone's like we need to get Danny Glover you know what I mean that that doesn't exist mm. so there's this wide range of like uh-huh and a very small range mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. black people that will move the dial yeah, yeah, definitely hear that. It's funny because uh, we were talking to you about that script Stray that we wrote, and we had a racial component in it yep. that we were talking, we're like, do we even need that? Or we're sick of that shit. It's done, whatever. And you talked about if you were interested in it, just making it all black, including the villain, which yep. I was like, that's interesting. Um, yeah, it would be interesting. I still think of that script. I still... Yeah. I, I still do. It was we can talk of, if you want to do something with it. It's just sitting there gathering dust. It's a good, fun script, but uh, it could use a few, you know, a shot in the arm. Well, you know what it is? It's just, it's what what's the movie that the person wants to make? Because, mm-hmm. you know, from your point of view, like you have this script and this great premise, and then you have some asshole coming in going, this is cool, but can you change this, 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 oh, this, yeah. this, 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 you know? Yeah. And of course, if money were on the table, then yeah, sure, I'll make all the shit. Might be a little more developing it, you know. <laughs> you know how it goes, man. Right. You've been on the both sides of the table. Well, as Jay mentioned, we're looking at anthologies too. We've always loved them, creep show, et cetera, you know, horror anthologies. And uh and we thought about making this one story like maybe the centerpiece of an anthology horror film yeah. or series. Yeah. You know? But because you could, could definitely suck it down to 10, 15, 20 minutes easily. Yeah, you know. I you think just, could but i i think the as a film straight if doing stray in a very specific way would be fucking bananas it would be 
fucking bit. Hey, man, maybe we'll talk again about it because we're open to whatever, man. We're not precious yeah. with our shit these days no. at all. Um, there, there's a really amazing, I mean, I don't like to say the premise, but there's, there's just this amazing dynamic that could take from the beginning to the end that no one's really ever seen before. That right. Yeah. Like, I know what you're talking about. So, a couple yeah. of great oh shit moments, you know. That's all a movie. If a movie has one or two oh shit moments, I'll usually buy in, you know. I mean, exactly. so many movies are flat and have no oh shit moments, no anything to really hang a hat on. You come out of it like, eh, you know. Yeah. Speaking of oh shit moments in movies, <laughs> we're actually we're gathered here about. today to speak about your favorite movie, which mm-hmm. is Mother. By Bong Joon Ho. Yeah, not to be confused with Darren Aronofsky's mother. Or mother. Is yeah. The yeah. Of, oh shit! I watched point. the wrong one. That's hilarious. Did you? Yes. Oh shit! Uh, I was like, this is an interesting pick for favorite movie. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I didn't. I don't know if it was the distinction. That's was hilarious. Made, but... Yeah, I'm pretty sure when I first sent it to you, I said hmm. Bong Joon Ho. Yeah. Um, well, that that I'll, I'll be uh, fucking getting hilarious. educated. That is fucking funny. That, that is. It's fucking hilarious. With Chris watched <laughs> Mother. <laughs> Doesn't it have an exclamation point at the end of the I had seen it. Yeah, it does. Yes. And you I, haven't, I, I take I, it, seen the other mother. No. Oh, man. You got to see it. either. Because uh, your segue actually was apt where you're like, speaking of oh shit moments, because <laughs> this mother, Kevin's mother, is full of oh shit moments as well. This All is right, well, educate me. Interesting <laughs> podcast all I'll, of a sudden. <laughs> I think um, we should make it clear that you two are the worst brothers in the world. Uh, <laughs> just how did this happen? But it, you know, it's funny. I hate the version that uh, that Chris watched as much as I love the version that. that <laughs> Hilarious. Well, talk about that too, then, because yeah. I haven't seen that. So okay. each of us will be sort of in the dark. My, I will say this: when I finished the mother version that Chris saw, <laughs> my wife and I booed. We've only booed twice in the theater in our entire lives. We booed for this, and we booed Sucker Punch, the only two movies in history that we booed in the theater. Dude, Sucker Punch is maybe the worst 45 minutes of film I've ever seen, because I couldn't finish it. But <laughs> Yeah, it's just, just brutal. But the Bong Joon-ho one, that was the movie where I was like, oh, I mean... Jesus, on every level that movie is, and I saw his movies out of order. Um, so first of all, like let's, let's talk about South Korean cinema, right? Because yeah. most people, if you even mention like, oh, okay, South Korean cinema, if they're even familiar with what that is, they're gonna go straight to Old Boy. Old Boy is kind of like the benchmark of the most accessible, even though it's a weird flick, it's like kind of the most accessible. Did you guys see Old Boy? Yeah, I saw it yeah. years and years and years ago, but I do want to revisit it. Yeah, it's that's that's a good one to yeah, kind of sure. like people in, but it's not the funny thing is it's, it's the most memorable, but by far not the best. And right. when you start really kind of getting into South Korean cinema, you see like the genius work. I mean, genius movies. And Bang Joon Ho, I thought was he's someone who's great with subversive kind of sick stuff and comedy. You know, right. which is what I'm gonna uh, uh, lean towards. And even Mother has that. Mm-hmm. which is hard to do when you think of what that movie is about. It's, it's, yeah. I mean, putting in any levity in a movie like that is outrageous, mm-hmm. to be honest. That's the beauty, though, because so many movies, that's what they're lacking. Chris and I talk about all the time about a sense of humor and how the people that we have a problem with the most in life, that's their issue. They don't have a sense of humor. Terrorists don't have a sense of humor. Um, even just the boorish people that you know, you know, it's like if that guy had a sense of humor, he might be all right. He's on the level politically. He's seems cool. He has good taste, but man. And I feel like films are that way. Like life has moments of irony in it, no matter how heavy the subject matter is. You know, something ironic can happen at a funeral and shit, you know? Yeah. Um, and I think it's wise for all filmmakers to think about interjecting a little bit of humor into their tale, no matter what it is, you know, and I appreciate that he did here. And I've seen not all of his films, but you see like stuff like the host, like it's funnier than you think it would be, you know, and he is subverting genre. So there's also that referential kind of humor in there where you're like, Oh, I kind of know what trope he's fucking with, you know? 
Yeah. And I feel like filmmakers like that, if you, because no one would say, oh, Bong Bong Joon-ho was really great with his comedy. I think it's like there are a lot of directors who put in and you would never think about it or know, like Martin Scorsese. I don't Mm -hmm. think anyone would be like, oh, he's a comedic director. But watch Goodfellas and see that every single scene is played for a laugh at some point. Every single scene. That's like you to the characters for sure. You know, if you want to care about the characters, humor is a great way to do it. Yep. Excuse me. Yep. Tarantino, same thing. I mean, oh, yeah. every movie yeah. essentially is a comedy. Um, and that's my world. So, so. And even just situational comedy, a comedy of errors, because it's always a plan going awry type shit, which is inherently kind of funny too, if you frame it that way, you know? Yeah. Or yeah. regardless how you frame it, even. Exactly. Even with farce. I don't know how, how into like farces you guys was, but like, like my favorite farce of all time is Noises Off. Dude, are you kidding? Oh, yeah. I was just about to say Noises Off as soon as you said the word farce. Nice. Bogdanovich's Noises Off is one of the funniest fucking movies of all time, and no one talks about it. It's my dream thing. is someone picks it for this podcast someday. Oh, man. I fuck. I should have said Noises Off. I mean, you know, here's this is funny. It, I actually know a guy whose favorite movie is Noises Off, but he has no sense of humor, and I wouldn't want him on the show. He sucks. Hilarious. He's one of the worst people I've ever met to be around, but he loves that movie, and it makes no fucking sense to me. Sorry, I think I interrupted you. It's kind of what we do here. But... <laughs> no, this is true. It's just, it's just funny, like, those type of things when you see the level, like, what I think the, the, the commonality between, like, farce and, like, a film named, like, like, Bang Joon-ho is the layers, the layers in which you built. And, and like you were saying before, most movies do not have layers. Most movies mm-hmm. are just, hey, you know what this is about? This is about cancer. And you're like, yeah. uh, all right, uh, okay. I'm gonna, I'm gonna this watch. is about stopping the nuclear bomb from going off. You know? Yeah, and it's just that. And these type of movies where you're like, oh my God, like, what is this? And, and Mother had that because 20 minutes in, you probably think you know what the movie's about. Yeah. And then an hour in, you're like, oh, okay, it's not about that, but it's about this. Mm-hmm. And then a half an hour before it's done, you're like, wait, what the fuck? Wait, what is the movie about? It's that. It's unbelievable. So so what was your experience watching it? Mine? Exactly what you just said. I remember kind of looking at the clock on it. I just watched it this morning. I was going to watch it last night. I love to watch these last minute, so it's fresh. Oh. But uh, I had a just massive allergy headache and shit last night so i watched it this morning it just finished up minutes before we launched this but uh i remember thinking distinctly like okay first talk about the opening scene it's like three minutes of her just dancing in a field right (laughs) so already people are disarmed they're like what the fuck is this going to be so expectations are already subverted from jump which is cool yep then yeah about the hour mark i think is when what's his name jintai the friend the mm-hmm. criminal friend or whatever, yeah. where he goes in, he kind of sets her on this course. But in that first hour, it's something else. It's yeah. kind of, I'm not going to say meandering at all. It definitely has an agenda and it's going after it, but pacing wise, it's just kind of unfolding. But from that moment on, it's like, all right, we kind of almost put a ticking clock on this, not a literal one, but it just tightens up and she's, singularly focused and thinks she knows what she needs to do and everything and starts going down this path but then yeah it throws these fucking wicked curveballs dude you know it's the punch you don't see coming that gets you right and And several of them yeah and they kind of mount it's almost it's paced almost to build into a crescendo not so much with action or anything but just with uh epiphany you know what i mean where they get closer and closer together you know because they'll have this moment like oh shit at the hour mark and then you know maybe it's a 40 minutes left mark but then at 20 and then at 10 and then at five or something you know so they're just by the end you're just like kind of dizzy from it which is awesome you know it's crazy and then like you take the opening shot and you take the last shot same thing with her dancing you know but now understanding why that dance is significant and where i actually just got goosebumps thinking about it because it's like the ride of that you know what's actually even crazier is the actress who plays the title character, Mother, kind of like, that was it. She didn't yeah. blow up and do a whole bunch of other movies. That was it. And that blew me away. And there was a piece of me, because I'm racist, I thought it was the same <laughs> actress from, um, from Minari and the, you know, the one who just won mm, the Oscar. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was like, oh man, she was great in Mother and this and whatever. 
Um, but you no, know, that's that other old Korean lady. <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh-huh. Exactly. And her, they're all, right? they all look alike. That's what you're trying to say, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Funny about her, by the way. Like I- I've seen so many of her movies, and she's genius as well. That's another story. But yeah, the tal- I mean, the the woman who played Mother. I mean, when you talk about Pitch Perfect, when you talk about you know nuance, whatever, it was one of the best performances ever. And to have her kind of like disappear after that masterpiece is bizarre. Really? In a way that's kind of badass. Just yeah, it's almost like a scene. Terrence Malick kind of yep. thing. Before yeah. he came back and started making a movie back every into year. the mists. Yeah. <laughs> or um, Daniel Day Lewis, you know, going off to make you be a cobbler or whatever. <laughs> Chris and I, man, what conversation? There was some other actor we were talking about recently where they just crushed some shit and kind of disappeared. I can't remember. Yeah, no, I feel like I had the same conversation. I mean, we talk about okay. Gary Poulter a lot, but he died. Do you? Yeah. Did you ever see Joe by David Gordon Green? That Nick Cage movie? No, I never did. Dude, there's a performance in there that it's worth watching a movie alone just for that of this guy named gary poulter who was a homeless dude that david gordon green plucked off the streets to play kind of a co-lead almost i mean uh well not co-lead it's a nick cage and this kid ty sheridan plays him but uh it's that kid's dad is this alcoholic piece of shit just homeless ne'er-do-well dad and it is one of the sickest performances of all time and then the guy fucking died before the movie was even released so he never got to see it it's yeah. crazy so check that out gary poulter rest in peace power piss whatever you're doing Drink to him. do yeah. rock but yeah i see what you're saying that these people they come out of nowhere they crush something you're like who yep. where where are you i remember reading a little bit of trivia that he had seen her i guess in something earlier was it a movie earlier he saw her somewhere and he enlisted her for this movie but i did get the impression that she wasn't like a season actress because that dancing scene one of the trivia bits was that he's off camera dancing with her bong is the whole time because she was too nervous to just dance in front of the camera and i was like so that sounds like not a seasoned actress who would be nervous you know like that right. but that's cool to think that he was there for the whole i want i want to see his dance moves like where's that alter, alternate camera you know could you please dance again jason because i even that two second dance you did was well, this is that was me imagining bong dancing all right if you want to see me dance, I'm going to be popping and locking like Gary Poulter. <laughs> he pops and locks in that movie. It's awesome. Um, he pops and he locks. In hell. Yeah, white, I could say that. Um, Chris, man, I'm pissed you didn't see it. It's fucking amazing. I wanted to talk to you about it like in overtime once he buzzes out. we could do that shit, next but... time, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, you sold me on it, though. I look forward to watching it. Dude, I mean, we can still talk about it too, obviously. Yeah, but, uh, for sure. I want you guys to talk about the other mother for a bit because <laughs> well, let me tell Kevin one of the reasons we started this podcast is because I mean, I had a kid and then I got cancer and shit. And Chris and I used to see everything that was in the multiplex and then all the shit that went straight to DVD and everything. And now I hardly have any time to watch shit. So at least if we started a podcast and made movies a sort of focus of it, I could tell my wife, oh, I got to watch this movie for work, babe. You know, she's like, work? How much? You got two Patreons, motherfucker. One of them's your mom. <laughs> um, but so I have massive gaps, and I am a big Aronofsky fan, so I wanted to see Mother, but didn't get to it. But one of the things we say is, I don't know, you're probably aware of this as a film guy, yeah. but we know we pick some obscure movies that people haven't seen yet, so they might not want to listen to these. Mm-hmm. But there are numerous studies that show knowing spoilers doesn't necessarily diminish your enjoyment of a film and some sometimes can enhance it so i don't mind if you guys spoil aronofsky's mother for me right now is the point uh, before we move on to that though i actually looked up this actress to see if what she is up to now kim hijar however it's pronounced um and she's in a lot racist. of tv it looks like mm. um, and i know there's a, a korean dramas are huge so maybe that's what they are the titles sound like that might be the case let me look again if you're the right person because i i, I could have sworn when i looked there was like nothing that Ooh, she did have. Okay. Let's double check. Well, it could be features, like you said. She's more on TV now. That guy yeah, played yeah, yeah. Jin yeah. Um, There's a character, Jin Tai, is like the friend of her son who gets accused of a murder. Maybe we should have you at least uh, throw out a summary of the film for people watching too. Yeah. But uh, before we get to that, this guy, Jin Tai, man, I looked him up because I was like, this dude should be a star. Doesn't that kid have star appeal? Like, I feel like he could rock some shit, but he's doing he- a lot of TV, it seems too yeah he there there's a couple of them and yeah i did get you know them confused you know here and there but sorry i need to pop this back i, was, I got 
I got into the weeds for this actress. I'm like, what is she doing? Um, yeah, no, all the actors. That guy, that guy oh my God. Um, so kind of like a basic plot summary. Uh, is that what you wanted, Jason? Yeah, yeah, it always helps for people that haven't seen shit. So it's a single mom uh, who is the mother to kind of a mentally disabled kid, right? You know, very childlike and innocent. The childlike, innocent kid is friends with, um, you know, kind of a bad kid. And we say kid, he's like 20 probably or something, right? Yeah, yeah, like 20. Like in the kitchen. Yeah. And then, uh, now you just saw this this morning. So I, 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 the problem is with trying to give a summary, mm. so much shit happens. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be jumping around. Well, essentially, if I were to just give the log line, her mentally challenged son gets accused of murdering the schoolgirl. Yes. And she believes he did not do it. And this mom sets out to fucking prove that her son didn't commit the murder. Boom. That, that's the best summary yeah. of that. That's the elevator pitch, essentially. But yeah. as it unfolds, I mean, mm. you start to learn crazy, wicked shit. Like, oh, was he born mentally challenged? Or did he get poisoned mm. by his own mom because she was going to fucking kill the both shit. of them by making them drink insecticide? And they just got sick and vomited and shat water for two days or whatever Damn. she said. You know, like she picked the wrong poison. But oh, so now shit. she feels gotta super... be a lot of guilt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're ruining it. We're spoiling this movie for you. But, dude, it's... Yeah, man, nah, I almost don't want to spoil it for Chris, but <laughs> if I'm know, sticking I'm, to our credo that spoilers don't matter. Nah, I mean, I mean, we do it for our audience all the time, so right. what's the difference? But... <laughs> I mean, that's, that's why we have no subscribers, but yeah. Right. Um, no, it, it's it, that, like, those those type of revelations, like the one that Jason said, it's it's not even, like, the big... When you know what's crazy, Chris? That's not the big twist of the movie. Oh, no. At that's, all. like, fourth or fifth down on the revelations, yeah. dude. Nice. It's crazy. <laughs> Sounds that amazing. I'll definitely nuts. watch that in the next couple days, probably. Yeah, we can talk about it in our next Cinephiliacs with our other yep. three movies we're doing now. Because <laughs> of Nomadland, we got to sneak in. Um, What's well, funny, Parasite was very uh, high on my list for recommendations, for picks for our other show. So, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that was another one neither of us got either. to somehow. Yeah. It's like a shame. Back in the day, I would have well, seen it three times probably already. And now I just seems like can't it's a little time. Do you haven't seen Parasite yet? You neither of you? No. No. So that, that's why I wanted to pick it. It's a huge gap, too. This is going to make me pick it very <laughs> soon. Well, we got yeah. this other thing we do where just the two of us, but we each make a pick, you know? Mm-hmm. So we have so it's a double, double feature, feature review reviews. of two random movies that we each picked, you know. Right. We're like I mean, Death the Smoochie and Megan is missing. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, the, the, the type of movies that you guys are into, I mean, I would just say if you can just like, all right, the month of May, mm-hmm. every week we're gonna do a South Korean movie. Like Hulu for, as of right now, I don't know if it changes it, whatever. They have a, a really great selection of like some of the best South Korean cinema. Right. And I would be like cool. dive in, just do Mother, do Parasite. I think all I think all Bong Joon Ho's movies are there. I think even his first movie, I think Barking Dogs Don't Lie. What is it? Barking? Shit, I have to get this. Barking, barking. Sorry, my internet is very slow. When you watch a lot of porn, it kind of like gets in your yeah, yeah, yeah. Slow <laughs> South down. Korean porn. Yeah, <laughs> that I can't do. I apologize, but um. Yes. It's uh, yeah, barking dogs never bite. Never bite. Yeah, I just brought it up too. Yeah. And cool that title. is more of a comedy, even though it's still subversive. But so that's on there as well. It, it actually would kind of be interesting to go in order to see how he. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his career is definitely interesting. And then he's got those English language films like Snowpiercer. Snowpiercer, yeah. which yeah. I love. Did you see that one? Yeah, I saw Snowpiercer. Yeah, yeah. It's. I know a lot of people don't dig it. it it's. It's his most unbung Jun Ho type, you know, film. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, I, I, it's the film I don't recommend when people go, "Oh, because Bong Joon Ho yeah. is my favorite directors," and I'm talking, "Yeah, you gotta see this." This I never say Snowpiercer ever. And I, I started it once, I never finished it. After it's kind of affected, you know, sci-fi and shit can get very affected. Like, would everyone really be dressed like this? Would it all mm. steampunk is like that for me. Like, I yeah. get it. It's cool. But it's like, eh, come on now. Even the Matrix yeah. with the trench coats and shit, you mm-hmm. know, it's like it's a little affected. Now, I'm not a fashion guy, obviously. To you, <laughs> you might be like, hey, man, everybody has a cool sense of fashion in this world. That's awesome. You know? Um, yeah. Like one time you mentioned that about um, Hunger Games with, you know, uh, the royalty were all like had crazy hairstyles. And I was like, well, shit, Lady Gaga does it now and stuff. Yeah. So it's not that out the road. Right, right. Possibility. No, it's not. It's not. not- 
it's, well, not. humans are peacocks, you know, for the most right. part. So it doesn't surprise me. But when you have these, it's, it's a different thing when people are in such dire straits that they wouldn't be preoccupied with fashion at all or something. Yeah. You know, people Whereas are being oppressed or something in like Snowpiercer or Hunger Games. Well, but the Royal Games, it was the elites yeah, who had exactly. all this spare time. And yeah, I can see that for sure. And that's a yeah. good way to actually juxtapose the rich from the poor, you know. Right. Fashion is something that you could argue at least couture fashion separates the rich from the poor. Now, poor people, of course, can express themselves through fashion, Absolutely. through yeah. even thrift store shit. It's awesome. But I'm just saying, I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about at this point. Keep <laughs> just digging a hole or some shit to show. No, like, no, just no. like Joey Diaz. I'm like the fat guy in the tracksuit, you know. Um, I enjoyed it. It was a very, it was a very high rant. It was, yes. it was, it was a rant you do in <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> I just scored some herb for the first time in a while. So. <laughs> no, but it, um, it's yeah, like Okja and and Snowpiercer. I'm just right. like you can skip those. And I and I struggled with um, either Memories of Murder or Mother. Yeah, because that's my. Mm, I don't know. I don't know if Parasite or Memories of Murder is my second favorite Bong Joon Ho film. So we got to dig into his shit for sure. Definitely. Yeah. Uh, right after making it we have so many sub series like the cinephiliacs is the double feature one and all that and then we had this alien smackdown tournament we were doing with a couple buddies of ours just picking like the best movie alien ever so you got like the moon and nights from aqua teen hunger force up against the fucking xenomorph and shit but uh still (laughs) (laughs) tournament style sweet 16 back on that but uh yeah that fell off because of scheduling but um point being maybe we might just want to do a retrospective subseries on his films or south korean films in general i always love the idea of watching a uh, particularly a director but you know a creator artist uh body of work from beginning to end you know yes uh, and with someone who you're not familiar with that. it's perfect you know yeah um that's that's interesting though because the 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 idea of the start to finish that was that's been my biggest <clears throat> neuroses meaning like in my career, you know, uh, my short form stuff it by far gets the most play, like whether it's viral video stuff or Super Bowl commercial, whatever. And I've made some features and all of the features. So I've made, I think, f- four or five features Damn. and they've all been subpar. They've all been like, you know, I'm going to pick one of I- Kevin's features for our cinephilia. <laughs> Which one would you recommend? None. Um, I would recommend <laughs> Mother! But no, it's, it's, it's all kind of like, so there are certain directors like out the gate, you're like, damn, like that's mm-hmm. your first, like you're a fucking genius, you know? But there is something to that, like watching someone like, this is not good. This is okay. This is mm-hmm. whatever. And then I think when you're in that, the indie world has this thing, because the independent film is not the same for everybody because there's the independent film where it's like, Oh, I'm doing Michael Clayton for seven million dollars. Right, Fox you know, Searchlight and fucking yeah. yeah and, exactly. and then it's like, no, I I live in Idaho. I'm doing indie, for indie, dollars yeah. and yeah. you know, friends and family. Those are the ones that I had to come to Jesus with. Like those are the ones, and those were like the first like four. Those like like making a film over three hundred thousand dollars wasn't something I had I've done yeah. yet. So and we just made one for twenty five k. Shit. There you so. there you go there you go and like those. I always thought like, hey, a body of work is worth more than no body of work. But then yeah. it does get to a point, if you do like three or four of those, then it can be like, motherfucker, you, you're you terrible. You, you got to keep stepping it up. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is like when you don't have a budget to do the film mm-hmm. that you really need to do and you start making these concessions and concessions and concessions, you're actually just hurting yourself. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's, Unless you well, we come up with really creative ways to that's we actually like content or material that fits your budget. Yeah, that's yeah. what we we the approach we took was you know what can we do with what's right around us minimal cast. Yeah, that Robert yeah. Rodriguez shit. But as we speak to you, though, as we we're saying, you try and step it up and step it up. Production value being one of those things, eventually you're going to run into that. Right. You know? True. Yeah. yeah, and and I think even that the concept of you know, you get these people together and you don't want to be the asshole on set. So, you know, shit's like fucking up or or really kind of the death ball is like what you had planned to do. Somehow this department drops the ball and you're like, mm-hmm. where, <laughs> you know, where is this outfit for this? It's like, I don't know. And like, so you want to be agreeable and just keep moving forward. But the problem with that is it only shows on screen. 
Mm-hmm. Nobody knows that this right. department did that and that department right. did that. And you're trying to be a cool dude and you're not trying to cause waves. And yeah. there's this shit that makes no sense. Well, I will say to the real indie filmmakers out there, what we did on this film is the first day we had raised like four grand on Kickstarter. And then I had like an angel dude throw us a few grand, you know? And I went to shoot the first day, camera rentals, crew, craft services, blah, 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 800 bucks, got five minutes of good shit. Yeah. But half the people were standing around, stepping on your audio, fucking talking, this and that. And eventually mm-hmm. I was just like, oh, the DP is taking 45 minutes to set up this shot. So my actor sitting there with a thumb in his ass, just going cold. So I had the epiphany, like, well, I'm going to scale all this back. Fuck it. That's what I wanted to do for the start, honestly. Yeah, exactly. Like what Trent Reznor did with music or what Prince, when he plays every fucking instrument on an album or whatever it does is like, I'm going to do all this shit myself. I'll give myself 10 minutes to light a scene. If it looks not perfect, fuck it. Everyone knows that was the parameters. That was the rules I built it almost dog me 95 kind of, structure you know what i mean and yeah. i'll give the actor three takes and we get what we get let's just try and motor through this shit get stuff keep it popping and when i did that i'm gonna shoot it myself fuck it i'll shoot it on a phone all right i'll make it found footage to shoot it on a phone etc yeah you make all these pivots you come up with these creative ways to do it but also you kind of do put it's kind of one of the reasons probably you love fighting like i love fighting versus a lot of team sports is it is on your shoulders yeah. and a fighter can say i had a bad camp or whatever but it's like dude it's you so you kind of can't diffuse or disseminate any blame to crew and shit you know what i mean i like that about it honestly but at certain budgets certain production values it's impossible you need it it's collaborative for a reason you know there is but you know the 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 trick around it even the reason why i brought it up is what bong joon ho had kind of discovered which i think a lot of indie filmmakers need to discover and it's a very difficult thing to kind of wrap your head around is ensemble staging and there's actually a really great video essay on Bong Joon-ho and how he uses, you know, mm. ensemble staging. Because, you know, one of the worst things are, if you're doing an indie film, the hardest thing is getting a great location. That's kind of like, you know, 70% of the battle. You know, you see a lot of like indie films and it's like someone's talking, there's a fucking white wall behind them or some bullshit and it just looks like the worst thing in the world. Or just that ugly six foot tall, two shot, yeah. two shot. Yeah, like, oh. it's just the worst. But Bong Joon-ho kind of figured out a way, and it's almost like kind of like backing in, like, you know, like when you have a schedule, uh, you know, on on the series, whatever, you're like backing into dates. If you have to just like Marvel has to back into this release date. Mm -hmm. So if Uh you back into your end shot, like, okay, this is where the end of the scene, it should end here. If you can kind of like then reconfigure how to get to that spot, right? What What will end up happening is it will look gorgeous, and it's more efficient because you're not doing a gazillion setups. It's a little bit more to it's a little bit more to set up. But what ends up happening is because you are doing ensemble staging, and a lot of times, you know, you're you're not doing a one or two be flashy, like you know, like Spielberg does wonders, but not to be flashes because it's more efficient. You tend to like you have these actors doing that's what Bong Joon Ho does, and you have this scene, and you you realize towards the end if you're a filmmaker towards the end of the scene, oh, they haven't cut yet, they haven't yes. cut yet because it was so much better to do these shots where the wide turns into, you know, a single and then turns into a two. And and that to me is the whole artistry of it. And I was going to mention Spielberg as one of the captains of that shit. If you watch his movies, if you do this old, the old film school trick of clapping on edits, I remember I didn't finish school. I'm a fucking dropout, but I was going to film school for a minute using the GI Bill. And I had a class where they had us do the psycho shower scene and clap every time it was a cut. And that's an interesting thing to do in general when you watch a movie, especially something like to bring up Aronofsky again, Pie or some shit, you know? Yeah. You're like, let me really see the rhythms of this film and how it was edited. But if you watch a Spielberg movie, you're not going to be clapping that much. Yep. Because what he does is he'll set the camera in one place, like you said, and it's almost like the shot becomes a story and the camera reveals and shit. And it's so much better than a bunch of cuts. Usually, sometimes you want that chaotic and just... Right frenetic pacing and you can do that through editing but uh for the most part like you said it's less setups it's efficient it you know reveals information you, you get almost two good picturesque shots because usually you're framing up to start end to end that was one of the nightmares he had on jaws is he would frame a shot up and then they'd fucking float 20 feet away yeah. he's like it's screwed now you know we talked about that in the podcast earlier um but the other thing is that it lets the actors do work 
Yeah. I couldn't imagine being an actor and just cut, 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 nope. set up, set up. So fuck that, dude. Nightmare. It's a nightmare. And you see the difference when you can let them go a bit, you know, and, and it's, it's that thing, but but that takes it just takes experience. And but there are some people like Spielberg who even though you look like his old home movies. Uh, did, did you see that documentary on HBO? No. So so need this, to. Amazing. If you man, this documentary on Spielberg and HBO is is genius, right? And there's even some home movies where he just had that eye. He just understood it, and it's very rare. So even in that documentary, they talk about when he gets into television. Immediately, people are like, who is this kid? He is moving the camera in a way we've never seen. So even when you, like, you watch Duel, you're like, whoa. Yeah, love that movie. Crazy. Mm-hmm. Like, just genius, genius level stuff. You know, J.J. Abrams. The difference between J.J. Abrams and Spielberg is Spielberg, you don't notice it. And J.J. Abrams, you, you not only do you not notice, he's going to do the lens flare. You're going to see it. It's obnoxious. You're like, okay, I get it. I get it. Ridiculous. But even, <laughs> but even when you watch, there was a great video essay on his wonders in uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. I had to Raiders. watch that video essay because I didn't realize the cantina scene where you first get introduced to Karen Allen is a wonder. Mm-hmm. I did not think of that. I didn't realize wow. that. And then watching it in that context, I'm like, holy shit, it is a wonder. Dude, like a stage, the you just let the actors. Yes, yep. who's on point. And again, Perform. the way you can reveal with the camera, like, Oh, it's on her. And if we do a swivel back and forth, have you ever seen Richard Linklater's tape? No. Dude, check that out. It's two men in a room, Ethan Hawke and Robert Sean Leonard, the guy from Dead Post Society who killed himself. Yeah. And it's basically just two guys in a room, but so much of it, I mean, filmed almost on like a VHS and shit, like right. just a bad old Panasonic HVX 100 or some shit. And a lot of it is, even when he gets frenetic with the pacing, he'll yep. be you know, whip panning back and forth and shit between these characters. But so much of it is just wonders, dude, like 10, 15 minutes at a time of just actors crushing it, simple setups, but he's not Paul Greengrass. He's not on purpose and shit, you know, and that's kind of the, that affectation, like Spielberg's genius is, it's almost like they say the greatest trick the devil ever played was convincing the world he didn't exist. That's a master director makes a movie that doesn't feel directed. You yeah. know what I mean? And with J.J. Abrams, you feel like he's directing it. He's directing the hell out of it. He's getting his Spielberg on, but it's not Spielberg. You know, it's a copy of a copy type thing. It's even what you know. What's the worst thing about it is it, it's like when you watch a really bad comedy, like you know, like that term. It's like, oh, this is very sweaty. Like you know, like it's just like you see the wheels turning, trying to, the actor trying to be funny, and you're like. God, this is not working. I get that same thing with J.J. Abrams. It's just so just like, oh my God, I see. I can literally, I, I'm watching the film, but I can almost see J.J. Abrams in the back, like jerking yeah. off as the camera's moving around. Look like, at this, oh, look at this. Oh, you know? Yeah. Zack Snyder a bit like that too, but oh. he actually is a bit more artistic, as bad as Sucker Punch and shit is, than J.J. Mm-hmm. Abrams, I think. You know, J.J. Abrams feels like it's just almost formula at this point, like follow the Spielberg formula, you know, and he could storyboard his movie and a hundred other people could say, you could take a hundred people and say, storyboard this like you think J.J. Abrams would, and it'd be the exact same shit as his. Yeah, yeah, but there there are, but it's funny, sometimes time is the enemy because actually if you go back to early J.J. Abrams. Oh yeah, regarding Henry. What, what happened? Regard, no, not regarding Henry. He wrote <laughs> regarding Henry. He didn't yeah, oh, he wrote that. I didn't realize. I thought he But tried. Mission Impossible 3. That's the that's the first time mm-hmm. I was I watched a franchise and watched it switch genres. Because I saw the first mission. I actually worked at the movie theater. Uh, my favorite time of my life. Not my favorite, because I have kids now. But my one of the, one of the most memorable is when I worked at a movie theater. Dude, Innocent Young the, working at a theater. Oh, sure. 93 to 97. Nice. Oh. Just, oh, Tarantino, and, uh, Braveheart, damn, oh, perfect. So with Mission Impossible, I'm like, wow, this is a great action film. And then Mission Impossible Two is like, this is the worst. I just find I loved John Woo at that point. I just, mm-hmm. And then John Woo just kept on breaking our hearts with more movies. And then uh, I'm like, this is so terrible. And then Mission Impossible Three, which I almost didn't even want to see. I was like, I'm kind of done. Two was so bad. I, I, I'm not interested. And I remember in the theater, I watched Mission Impossible Three, and I remember not liking it. I remember like, okay, whatever. And I couldn't, you know, I remember like thinking about certain scenes and certain sequences and 
with affection. And I'm like, I gotta rewatch this thing. And I rewatch it again. And I'm like, I love this movie. I fucking love it because I, what I didn't realize is that J.J. Abrams took it from action movie to adventure movies. Mm. And that's where they are now. And that's a subtle shift of genres. It's actually kind of genius. There really is. A lot of people wouldn't even make a distinction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because if you think like Die Hard is an action movie. Raiders of the Lost Ark is an adventure movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. for it's, sure. It's very, and most people do not get adventure right. Probably the only studio getting adventure right every single time is Marvel. Marvel yep. gets adventure right every single time, mm-hmm. you know? A lot and, of their geniuses in the casting, Chris and I have said, like, I wonder if you were to miscast some of these movies, if they'd work as well. I mean, Robert Downey Jr., amazing. Hemsworth, who the fuck is going to play these characters for these guys? You know what I'm saying? It is yeah. absurd how well they cast those movies. It's a, it's absurd, but at the same time, Marvel, I think, cracked that code of, like, if you want to make a movie like this, you got to get a director that does comedy. Yeah. Yep. That's that exactly what we were talking about earlier, yep. Disaster, disaster. Because That's the Zack Snyder problem. That Chris and I have a, exactly. We're Marvel. Guys. I just watched it, Justice League. The the, uh, the Zack four Snyder hour one. I just finished it a few days ago. Yeah. <laughs> well, we we, we grew up Marvel time. guys in almost like anti DC, <laughs> and not knowing why exactly. Batman is cool, of course, but Superman's yeah. fucking ridiculous and just give me a break. Even though we love the Christopher Reeve movies growing up and stuff. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in adulthood, we hit on it, and it's that sense of humor thing again dc yeah. has no fucking sense of humor and marvel is playful and it acknowledges these are dudes in tights and everyone's kind of mentally ill to be doing this shit you know what i mean <laughs> but uh it's all tongue-in-cheek you know um, well dc is it, it's even more bizarre because dc's animated universe is that DC yeah that's what everyone tells me that animated batman yeah, i haven't dope. Really seen it much but i've heard about that too yeah. go to hbo max and just start watching that i mean you're gonna be like it if you grew up on grew up whatever but if you watched a lot of those animated series because they it was the same world i mean they did do that world building and that's due to bruce tim mm-hmm. you will punch your tv and scream at warner Bros. like why didn't you take those producers for the animated series and install them like kevin feige for the live action stuff because when i tell you the shit is genius level i'm not fucking right yeah i heard that from several people genius i gotta check it level. out genius. once my son Maybe I'll get him into that. He's seven. There you go. Perfect. Oh, seven? Perfect. Perfect Perfect. age. Doesn't Mark Hamill do the Joker? Wasn't that the whole thing? Mark Hamill's Joker is the Joker. I've heard it's like the best Joker from some people. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's so good. Better than Jack. Better than Heath Ledger. (laughs) I love it. It, 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 It's so great. It's so great. So so it was like, you know, Zack Snyder. Yeah, it's a shame because like, the because that the animated series is the way people see those characters now you know what i mean those, those are the most mm. memorable you know the mark hamill's version the superman the batman and to watch this like humorless fucking whatever it was i mean the fact that lois lane is carrying coffee in slow motion is insane why why <laughs> why is that slow yes. motion? it's ridiculous it's, it's so- almost endearing though it's so absurd it's almost like i don't know like if you gave your kid a camera and had him make a movie or some shit, your twelve year old, you know that he might overuse slow motion and all these things mm-hmm. when it's not even like John Woo bullet ballet, but like you said, someone bringing coffee and shit. Yeah, uh, it's, it's so bad. <laughs> you're like go, go, Zach, you can <laughs> yeah. do it. But but uh, always the, the movies of Marvel that suffer, the ones that people think back to, you know, that are like I didn't like Thor two, like oh, I didn't like this, yeah, because. Yeah. Kenneth Branagh and Alan Taylor and too you know, serious. Just it's way too serious. I mean, it was in Captain Marvel's issue too. You know, it's just not well, and that's what James Gunn's genius was with Guardians of Galaxies. That shit's a straight comedy, pretty much. Yeah. You know, Tyga. Chris Pratt cast a funny dude, you know. Thor three is a comedy. Thor three yep. is Ragnarok is a straight up and way better. Yeah. It's it's it's, it's great. It, it's really great. So you kind of like crack that code, and that's why like people who deal in comedy, I think are the most powerful people in the mm-hmm. business. I feel like Robert Downey Jr., again, back to the casting of Marvel, helped them crack that code because if you take him out of those movies, they're not yeah. that charming, dude. You nope. know what I mean? I think I think they learned that lesson. Like, the thing that people like about this is him and his attitudes and the humor that he brings to it, and they probably, you know, extrapolated that shit into all of it, which is genius. Most of the... most I'm like 99.9% of Marvel's casting. I can't think of who would be better. No, it's amazing. The only one, and I don't have that weird, 
there's a weird hate of Brie Larson that is just so like it's just it's too much. <laughs> but she's probably the only one who's like I could see other people in that role. She's just I, such I, a Becky. Yeah. yeah, I actually did not enjoy her in that movie. But that's just, just I mean, look at just Tom. Where do you find Tom Holland? Where do you find right. RPG? Where do you find Chris Hemsworth? It's so ludicrous, and that's why like you know we talk about Fantastic Four. I feel like they are going to do John Krasinski and Emily Blunt because it's perfect and they do perfect casting. <laughs> so, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that I would be pretty it. perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I can definitely see it. It's nuts, man. And what do you think they're going to do with uh, T'Challa moving forward, dude? Bro. That hurts. He had the same kind of cancer I had. And I'm like, my fat, shitty ass survived. And this fucking specimen who fought his ass off and does all this good for the world died from it like ugh, i feel guilty survivors go it should have been chadwick not me <laughs> no, no, no it's Cheers. Your, your whiteness is a superpower that's, that's why <laughs> yeah but in a world where everyone has superpowers what's the difference it's like he-man mass everyone can fucking lift i want to find the character in master of the universe like do you even lift bro what is it orco anyway isn't it amazing that we have no idea of black panther 2 i mean like we're both friends with malcolm spellman and this is like Man, the 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 desire to ask him what is in store, like, like you don't want to ask him, and of course you can't. Right. It's just like I, I'm just. I gotta to get him on here. Shit, what the fuck's oh, his favorite all. movie? That would be amazing. I mean, he's the best. I bet it'll yeah. surprise you too. I watched he's... a couple episodes of the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Dig it, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotta dig into that again. Just time. Maybe I'll stop <laughs> podcasting and watch more. All right. <laughs> Are you guys watching Invincible? I don't watch shit. Uh, all I watch is movies for this podcast at this point, but I'm fine yeah. with it. Actually, I, I've talked about this a bit on the podcast. I'm curious to get your take on it, too. When we grew up, TV was slumming, right? Mm-hmm. Especially dramatic TV. It wasn't really until Sopranos hit. We were like, all right, this yeah. shit could be something special. Uh, yeah. You know, those early HBO shows. Then The Wire, of course. But uh, I feel like I got into TV, and we even pivoted on our career from features to TV and, you know, had some shows set up that never went, of course. Um, One that still might have a chance, hopefully. But I'm finding it's marriage, and I kind of like dating. I like features as a writer Mm. and as a viewer. It's kind of like swipe right. I went on a date, and cool, it's over, but it shows. It feels like you got to commit, and then sometimes you find yourself still watching the show, and you're like, am I even into this shit anymore, or is it just obligatory? I got to see it through now. And it feels like just bad relationships sometimes. So I'm kind of off TV and back to features to just take a, all right, I got a couple hours. Let me sit down be told a dope story, dispense with it. You know, oh you I still love the deep dive of long form narrative though. And <clears throat> following characters for a while. Like um, I think the key too, with that is keeping it fresh. Like Sopranos, we mentioned it was always setting up a lot. It would like every a new person would come out of prison. That's the new villain and stuff like that. And then other things fail when it kind of just becomes stagnant and it doesn't mm-hmm. change it up enough to keep it interesting and keep the characters, you know, changing and and such. The world, I love world building too. So that that's a part of it too. That you can. I love that about it. I think it's form. probably speaks more to just having my kids still time have virtual schooling <laughs> yeah. from COVID shit and stuff like that. Like it's just yeah. The last year it was zapped as far as TV watching, unless I'm watching Ben Ten or some shit with him. You know, <laughs> sometimes you got to commit, Jason. You sound like a cinematic fuckboy. You you got you got to just commit. <laughs> oh yeah, dude. I'm a fucking <laughs> cinematic man whore is what I am. I'm no, a I, cinematic I Casanova. I fuck him and leave that. him you know, like the kids and everything. And, you know, like it, it, my hustle, because my wife is also a movie and, you know, TV lover, you know, very mm-hmm. similar. My wife and I are very similar. Yeah, my wife, my taste don't, no, that's probably part yeah, of it. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. But the only thing is that there are certain things I just, I have to decide internally, okay, I have to watch this without her because I need to binge it. Like there's yeah. like, you know, especially yeah. with shows, I'm like, I feel like maybe you should, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta go through it. I gotta just watch the whole thing without her because it's just, it just takes too long to, you know, yeah, I think it was probably is more the pandemic because I was devouring some shows. Like when the kid was in school, I'd watch an episode or two a day I could get away with, but now it's like fuck. Yeah, but I'm a night guy too. Like the, after too. she goes to bed around like, 11.30, I got a couple of hours to myself. Mm-hmm. Like imagine Breaking Bad as a movie. I no. mean, you would not nearly Trash. develop the level of connection you do with Trash. the characters in it. And, yeah. Um, it would be horrible. I, I, I tend to watch 
usually anything as sort of like when I go to bed, I, you know, I'm laying in bed watching it and I'll often drift off. So it usually takes me a couple of viewings to watch a movie or whatever with TV. I found the pattern often is I'll, I'll pass out halfway through an episode, but I kind of like it that way because the best part to me is the end of an episode where they'll have like, say a cliffhanger or whatever. And I don't want to leave at that point. I want to see what happens, you know, so then you run, ram into the next episode. So I actually watch it like, staggered you know like cutting off in the middle each time you know mm. all right well let me it let is kind of getting a little less interesting you know and then it ramps up and you're like okay i want to slam into the next one now yeah this brings up this distinction between tv and film again brings up a question uh chris and i talk about a lot but i want to ask you as a creator too arcs see to me tv is where character arc belongs because in real life most people change over a span of years or there's one incident that changes them. In film, we've got this whole save the cat prescriptive transformative arc shit that every executive fucking wants to know what's the arc and shit. Whereas if this character over the span of two hours has to change and usually change to then achieve their goal, like they weren't good enough before. To me, arc works best as an inciting incident. Charles Bronson in Death Wish or whatever. He's this guy, 10 minutes into the movie. Oh shit, he's a different guy now. We're going to see what that guy does. That's when it works because it feels like a moment changes their, their life or something that transformed them. But to, I just think TV is where arc can really work. Like look at Walter White again, if, like Chris said, if you made the movie, it would suck. But for that character to evolve the way it did makes sense and it works beautifully, but in a film it would suck. Where are you at when execs are like, what's the arc and all that kind of shit. I, I, I am, I, I'm definitely like, you know, into the arcs. I, I find like when the, the movies that don't have an arc, like one of the things I hate the most is uh, Hidden Figures. It's a crowd-pleasing movie, but it's an example of a main character that has no arc because like the whole point is for everyone else to change because, you know, it's like literally the point is everything's racist, so everyone has to be less racist. Like that's the only arc in the movie. She just stays the same. Yeah, my that's a catalyst is, arc. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, my thing is, I do, yes, yeah, so you have to have this arc, but it doesn't always have to be positive. I think that people think that arcs are only from bad to good. Yes. And I'm like, well, no, right. and like, and mother is a great example. Her arc is actually from good to bad. <laughs> so Sort of. Once it makes that reveal, I thought about that. I was like, when she does do some of the crazy shit she does near the end of it, it's like, Oh, that actually is perfect in keeping with her character who fucking poisoned her son and herself without doing the proper research. Yeah. She's nuts. Yes. She's been nuts since the movie yeah. started, but you think she's not. Um, the the what or the fucking lighthouse. Did you see that? I haven't yet, no. Oh man. See, to me, that is a great movie that reveals madness. People think it's one of those downward spirals in the madness, but no, watching that movie, what it really does is reveal madness that was there all along. And that's just right. cooler to me, you know. Right. Um, which mother kind of does. Yeah. I think that'd be great. I mean, I think with TV, like, you know, obviously just the, it's the, the luxury of time. I, I mean, that, yeah. that, that's, that's really what it kind of comes down to. Because there, I mean, look, the greatest arc of all time, right? The Godfather. It, it, it's, it's, the, it's the most famous and, and, and greatest arc. And so I, I have no problem. Mapped out over a franchise, though, versus a single movie, you know, which, though, you could say arcs in the yeah, first the single movie, movie yeah. where, yeah, 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 he was yeah. Trying Oh, yeah, yeah. I think that's what you mean. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But again, yeah, that's true. But that was almost like a call to action. He finally answers at the end. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's actually it's the not. No, business. It's, think, think of it this way. If you think of Michael's arc, it's actually of his own doing. So the, the scene in which um, the Michael's plan to get Salazzo and the uh, captain, that's all Michael. And if you even look at that scene, which, by the way, is amazing. It's an amazing uh, scene of ensemble staging. There's like, there's mm. no cut in there. So we have that office and you have, uh, um, you know, Tommy, uh, what is it, Flanagan or whatever, you know, and and, and his whole deal. Um, and he's arguing with Sonny and you see Michael just in the chair and he's stewing and he's thinking. And he's like, what if? And in that scene, it's all him. The camera just slowly tracks in That's on him. That's beautiful. It's the most amazing part. Damn. It's crazy. Yes. It's, it's, it's amazing. I do have to run. Um, I had to take my daughter. She got booked uh, last night. That's uh, all right. I think our buzzer has like less than a minute left anyway, okay. which is good. We do love it when a guest gets interrupted mid-sentence. 
Do you have anything you want to sort of plug or talk about before we roll or uh yes my episode on the wondery podcast uh, imagine life uh, dropped yesterday nice. um, it's got jay ellis from insecure reading it it's a fun one it's kind of like a who is this person that's the point of the podcast is who is this person pretending uh, to be so okay. those are always sweet fun. check that yeah. out i'll link to it in the description of this so that our fucking handful of <laughs> subscriber sees it <laughs> i think you're probably gonna help us more than we help you on that front um, <laughs> dude you're fucking awesome come back anytime bullshit about any random movie or uh, politics or whatever the f- <laughs>